You're listening to audio from Mercy's Door Community Church in Mascouda, Illinois. If you'd like to get more information about Mercy's Door, we'd love for you to connect with us on Facebook or check us out at mercysdoor.org. Here we are. Week two, Advent. We're doing it. Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 20, looking at one of, if not the most overwhelmingly masterful passages about Christ in all of Scripture. This is an incredible text that we look at and we see Christ's relation not only to God the Father, but His relation to all of creation. And in the next coming weeks, we'll see Him in relation to His bride, the church. Quick little, uh, in, my, uh, in my text here, in my Bible, I guess we can call it a Bible. In my Bible, the, uh, the section heading of this passage is called The Preeminence of Christ. little click on the thesaurus, helpful tool, those things are. Preeminence, the greatest, the foremost, the best, the finest, the chief, the outstanding, the excellent, the distinguished, the prominent, the topmost, the utmost, the famous, the renowned, the illustrious, the towering, the superior, the exceptional, the unrivaled, the unsurpassed, the unequaled, the incomparable, the matchless, the peerless. To put it in language of males ages 13 to 45, the goat debate is over. Right? Jesus Christ is supreme of all. Amen? Start stomping here, okay? He is supreme in all. Some writers, some uh, historians, and some uh, biblical scholars believe that this text right here was a modern hymn because of its mastery in the language to, to unpack all of Christ's, of who he was, his preeminence. So Paul was no doubt helping the Colossians see and understand the false teaching of their time. The theme of the book of Colossians, for a little bit of context, the theme, the glaring theme that we see is the adequacy of Christ in relation to the empty, hollow philosophies of the time that, they, that many of the Colossians were looking towards and even might have infiltrated the church of Colossae. So, this theme that we see, it still serves the same purpose for us today. A uh, pastor, author, his name's Tony Morita, uh, he puts it like this. He says, a clear understanding of Jesus is the best protection against false gospels today. That is, the best protection against false good news is to look to the source of the originator of all good news, Jesus himself. So, to know Christ, what we talk about, what Benton just hit on, we talk about it every week, it's so central to who we are as a church, is we first, we never want to stop knowing Christ. It never ends. To know Christ, it never ends. It's not a, it's not a finish line that you get to. It's not an, a, a, something that you uh, arrive at. It's not a class that you graduate from. To know Christ never ends. That's a good thing. Pastor Adam, back when we were doing um, the letters of John, he likened knowing Christ is like going down a mine shaft. And that the deeper you go into that mine shaft, 
the more the richness of who he is is revealed. The deeper you go in, the more the treasures are found. And this is true of knowing Christ. So I'm going to read what we've covered so far in this Advent series, verses 15 and 16. And then we're going to take a deep dive on verse 16 specifically today. And I'll hit the pause button and talk about a few things. So here we go. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. This is the word of the Lord. For by him all things were created. By him, by Jesus, all things were created. This is a clear uh, revelation of Jesus showing his equality and divinity of God. When it says by him, we know this is the, he is the origin. He is the originator. He is the reason for it. For by him, next word, all, all things. This is a, we have to admit, when we say all, this is such a gloss over word. Three letter word that we just, we say it, we, we sing songs about it, but all. We, we can't fathom all. In our limited minds, in our limited scope of understanding, there is no way for us to understand all. Seems so simple, but yet it is confounding. It's a mystery how we can, well, the things we can see and the things we can unsee, but he has created all. All. It's like, um, the highest high, the lowest low, the smallest molecule, the biggest star, everything, everything he has created all and all of creation is meant to reflect his power and his might and the wisdom that he possesses. Everything. There is nothing insignificant in all of creation because he has created it that is incredible that is incredible and it's a good thing that he created everything because by him creating everything it makes everything subject to him we have a dog now it's about six months old okay a uh, little looks like a swiffer sweeper with legs okay <laughs> But even with six months old, and we're, we're walking this dog, you know how a dog, it'll walk out in front of you, and then it'll kind of look back, like, is it still okay? Are we good? Okay. okay, keep walking, right? That's what the mountains have done. The mountains are like, okay, this high? Okay, good. The oceans are like, stop here? All right, we'll stop. The galaxies are like, all right, this big? Where? Where do you want me in the heavens, God? All right, right here. The supernovas are like, is it okay if I decay now? Yes, you can. Every element on the periodic table is like, how much do you want me to weigh? And God tells it. And it's true. Because he created all. And all is subject to him, including us. Including us. You know, you know that scene in, uh, uh, in Lion King? When Mufasa is taking young Simba up to look at the kingdom? And he's like, James Earl Jones... Everything you see, Simba, 
is ours. Right? There's nothing in existence that Jesus can't say that about. There's nothing. And what's crazy is 2024, you know, our 2024 or 2023 technology, what we understand and what we know, but let's say in a thousand years, I got to imagine our technology is going to be better and we're going to be able to see more things. Guess what? When we see new things and more things, God's there. He's like, yeah, made that too. Took you guys a while. All things. All things. Now, check this out. This is my first pause point. My first point of pause here. To create everything and yet choose he wants a relationship with you. That's incredible. That's incredible. To say all of the grandeur in creation on this planet and the cosmos and yet he wants you he wants your heart we we kill ourselves for that kind of access to things whether that access is the new job or the new promotion or the new thing you know we'll stand in line for hours to get tickets to something or to to buy something when it first comes out we want this because we have a desire to be significant, to be secure, to be safe. We have a desire in us of this VIP treatment, right? But we have, and back in April, back in April, Instagram, social media app, right? Instagram, for a day, they were selling the blue verified checks. You guys know what I'm talking about? The little blue verified checks to... They sold, they opened it up, and they were going to sell them for $15 a pop. In less than a day, they sold 44 million blue checks. $660 million. That will help the bottom line. <laughs> I don't know if you know, $660 million. It's like Shohei Otani, right? Why? I'm not saying if you got a blue check on your Instagram, you know, hey, good for you. But what I'm saying is... Um, Man, what, is, what does that say about who we are as a people and as a culture? So desirous to be accepted. So desirous to, to tell the world that I matter. Well, you don't need a blue check to know that the God of all creation who made everything could have wanted a relationship with anything, but he wants a relationship with you. You matter. You matter. There's a, a, a song, one of my favorite songs, in the, the bridge of the song it says this, talking about when understanding this, this mystery of God valuing us, it says, two wonders here that I confess, my worth and my unworthiness. My worth and my unworthiness. The role of creation is meant to lead us to worship. And when I say creation, I'm not just talking about the form stuff uh, within creation, but I'm talking about 
the things we can't see, we can see. I'm, I'm talking about mountains. I'm talking about all the natural things. But also, I'm also talking about people and places and things. Oftentimes, uh, as I've been on teams in the past and, and led teams even, uh, I'll, I'll do this. Um, it's kind of a spiritual inventory, a little test you take. You know, sometimes you take those Myers-Briggs tests or you take some of those tests to find out which friend's character you're most like and everything like that, right? So, uh, I would often lead our teams through this one spiritual temperament inventory and where you, you take kind of a quick, a short test, a short quiz, and this, the purpose of this is to help you understand how you most uh, naturally connect with God. This is to help you, but it's also to help people on your team understand you, how you uh, most naturally connect with God and so some of the options and you can be a combination I think all of us are a combination of of most of these but uh, there's the sensate and so you connect with God through your senses there's the traditionalist you value traditions you see God's faithfulness in the mundane of repetition and doing it over and over there's a creative this is the artistic types those making things or creating things for God in a creative way is a way that you connect with God. There's the intellect, the one who connects with God by understanding and learning about him. There's the ascetic uh, who through silence and solitude and discipline connect with God in an intimate way. The activist. An activist is someone who demonstrates their faith by you know, defending the poor and the powerless being a, a strong shield or a protection for those in need. That's how you might connect with the Lord. There's a servant. I think many of us in here, many of you guys, I've noticed are servants, and you connect by laying down, by sacrificing for the benefit of others. But what I want to talk to you guys about is the naturalist. The naturalist, specifically in this text, the naturalist connects with God most by being in nature and creation. You know, whether that's a hike or whether that's a, a bonfire, or whether that's a sunrise or a sunset, right? And I know many of you have been uh, stationed in, in some really beautiful places, right? But hey, I'm going to throw Muscoota, Illinois sunset up there with uh, anything y'all got, okay? It's, it's beautiful. And so my wife, the, the, the lovely Kat Barton, one of the ways that she connects most with God is, is a naturalist. We'll be wrestling around, me and the kids will be wrestling around in the living room, and someone will notice, notice the sunset, and then I'll just kind of look over to her in the kitchen, and she's just, wow. You know, and, and sometimes, to be honest with you, that's challenging for me. Uh, that's not the, the, the most intimate way that I connect with the Lord, but my question for you, for us, is when was the last time creation made you stand in awe? When was the last time you saw the picture that God was painting? And it moved you. All creation, all things, is for the worship and praise of Him. Right? Now what God has made and how He has made what He has made, it should lead us to worship. Now, all of those things that I, I just rattled off, all those ways that we connect with God, surely they can go to the extreme end. They can go to the negative end, right? The sensate, the one who with senses connects with God, maybe you're eating food. Well, you can become a glutton if you're not careful. The traditionalist, you can become a Pharisee really easy. The creative, you can become prideful and you can 
in what you make or what you build. The intellect, you, it's, it's natural, right? You, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. You can be guilty of knowing a lot about something, but not really knowing intimately God. The ascetic, the one who lacks, likes solitude, that, that person might lack community. Sees everyone else as the problem instead of themselves. You're not really in touch with knowing others and being known by others. The activist, you can become a burden or a bigot or brash. The servant can become worried or anxious or depressed that everything is falling on their shoulders. These are all dangers. And the naturalist, what we see from the church of Colossae here, is you can worship creation instead of the creator. Right? Paul echoes this in Romans chapter 1. He says this, 125, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. For example, their church was getting caught up in ranking angels. They were ranking angels. They were still kind of believing a little bit of the cultural the culture was rubbing off on them a little bit and they were this philosophy, empty philosophy of we have to do things in order for the gods to bless us. Does that sound familiar? We just spent a 14 weeks in Hosea where that was their problem as well. The neighboring communities, the neighboring civilizations were affecting the, the way of life that God had not called them into. So ultimately because they thought the burden fell on them, to figure out who to worship, and by finding who to worship, if this is the right thing, if this is the right person or angel or heavenly being to give praise, to give sacrifice to, then if we got that right, our needs would be met. They would provide for us. In a sense, they're hedging their bets, right? Now, um, does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar in... Today's day, we might not exalt Baal, we might not exalt the pagan gods of Roman tradition, right? We might not exalt angels like they were, but don't we exalt workaholism? Don't we exalt worry? It's almost like a badge of honor if you're a worrywart. Don't we exalt being power hungry, exalt money? Don't we exalt good things like safety, stability, family? Don't we exalt even being happy? Not bad things. And surely we exalt ourselves as the most important thing that there can be. And this is why Paul continues on with the scope of all for by him all things were created in heaven and earth in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities we're going to pause there not only all of visible creation but all power and order and government and economy and society and all rulers all things, this is how a commentator put it, I really like this, he says, all things in every place of every sort and of every rank originated with him. In the time 
there was much of angel worship, as I mentioned, and Paul may have been using the terminology of the false teachers who brought it when saying the power, sorry, uh, heaven on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. He's using the same language to help them understand that, yeah, that stuff that you think that it's out of his hands, he created that. He's aware, he knows. Why does Paul add this? Why does Paul add this? Understanding who Jesus is as creator and that he is all sovereign over all, understanding who Jesus is provides heavenly peace. He's not just originator and creator of the things that we can see, but he is the originator and creator of all heavenly things. If you want peace, Go to the source of it, is what Paul is trying to help us understand. So, when we understand, unlike the Colossians, I don't have to work. I don't have to work to be in favor of God. I don't have to do certain things in order for Him to love me more. There aren't things I need to stop before I can enter His presence. The work is done? Yeah. The work is done. The questioning of, am I loved? Am I accepted? Am I significant? Am I secure? It all boils down to this. Because Jesus is the architect and fulfiller of creation and its redemption, I'm just going to rattle off a few of these. Because of that, because Jesus is This is what we can say about us. Here we go. Because those we are found in him, we are beloved. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Jeremiah 31. You are a child of God. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. We are delighted in The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Zephaniah 3. You are forgiven. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that you might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. You are adopted into his family. The spirit you have received through your adoption into sonship. Romans 8. You are righteous, 2 Corinthians 5, for he made him who knew no sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God in him. We are a sweet aroma, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ along with those who are being saved and for those who are perishing. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 2. You, church, you're never alone. Deuteronomy 31, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You are a masterpiece. Because God created everything, he also created you. And in doing so, he's a perfect creator. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things he planned long ago. Ephesians 2. You have an guaranteed victory. 
you have a guaranteed victory. You have given me your shield of victory. Your right hand sustains me. You stoop down to make me great. That's Psalm 18. I was texting with Sean Busby this week, and he was asking me, like, hey, what's your favorite passage? I forgot one, man. My favorite passage, my favorite really three words in all of Scripture, it is finished. Amen? We have victory, church. And lastly, we are made whole in Christ. In Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Colossians 2.10. Those are just a few. Those are just a few. I mean, I could rattle off. We could, we could talk at length about what it means. Because of Christ, because he is the originator of all things and provider of all things, what that means for us who are found in him. Can I get an amen? Let's go. Let's go. All right. Therefore, because of this, because of Jesus' work on our behalf, not only in creation, but in redemption, now there are certain things we can no longer say. There are certain things we can no longer say. We, we can't say, I can't do the hard things. I can't really change. The same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead living inside of you, you can't? I'm going to keep messing up. I'm damaged goods. Are you a masterpiece or are you not? There's no way my marriage can be fixed. There's no way I won't mess this up again. I'll I'll mess it up again. I know my coworkers. I know my family. They need Jesus, and I want to share with them. I'll mess it up. I'll mess it up for them, and and then they're going to hate me, and they're never going to want to talk about spiritual things ever again. I I can't. I can't go deeper in this community. I'm going to move in six months. I'm going to PCS in a year. It's going to hurt too bad once I get to know these people and then i got to leave. Might be true. Might be true. But it's worth it. It's worth it. You know, and I know, I know the vast majority of you, and some of you I know a little bit more intimately than, than others, but one thing I've, I would say that characterizes us as a church is we're pretty hardworking. There isn't, much in the, there isn't much people in this room that it's like, if I asked you to do something really hard, I, I believe you'd do it. I believe you'd do it. You're, you're not going to, you're willing to enter into the hard stuff. You know what it means to sacrifice. You know what it means to serve. I believe that. You're not going to complain. You're not going to mope around and, and groan about some of the hard work. There's salt of the earth people in here, and I, I'm thankful to God for y'all. But, you know, one thing that we can easily join in on when we complain and moan and groan is we, get, we start talking about Illinois. We start talking about Illinois and policies and government. We start moaning and groaning, right? And I'm guilty of it too. Let me ask you this. What's our prayer to complaining ratio when it comes to some of these things? We won't... We won't moan and groan and complain when it comes to being on your hands and knees laying a floor or digging up dirt or being on a roof when it's scorching hot we won't complain about that but man we talk about other things and i get it i'm right there with you 
one thing the Lord laid on my heart is, man, what, what's our prayer to complaining ratio when it comes to the state we live in? Is our Lord not in control? I think there's something deeper at the heart of it. So in ancient times and modern times, there's been this like ancient anxiety uh, or universal fear that at any moment things can spiral into pandemonium, right? And uh, our fears are more in the vein of, you know, abuse of power and at some level and at some instant you know, things could be different because of a policy that comes down from Springfield or from Washington, right? That's kind of our fear is something is going to change and it's going to happen and it's going to be totally out of our control and that's how it looks for us. But back then, what it looks like uh, was, again, the fear of many of these philosophers was that is creation, the creative order, is this going to continue doing what it's supposed to do? Are we going to get rain? Are we going to get food? Is the sun going to come up? Are these stars that we see streak across the night sky, are they going to hit us? This fear of chaos at any moment was something that plagued the church. And it can freak you out if, you're, if you think about it. And I kind of went on a deep dive here this week, and it, I think this stuff is, is pretty incredible. Well, uh, if you're believing a lie, it can freak you out. If you believe the lie that God is not in control, if you're believing that lie, some of this stuff might freak you out, right? And here's, here's, the law, or here's the simple truth that we need to be reminded of. You are not in control. You are not in control. Think about this. The human body. And we've got some doctors in the house, right? Think about the human body. What of all of the things that are happening did you make sure of today? That your synapses were firing your heart was pumping, you make sure your lungs were doing what they were supposed to be doing? Did you do any of that? Did you make sure that the blood and the circulation, did you make sure all of the systems of the body were in check before you sat down? Nope. You know why? You're not in control. God is. And he's praiseworthy. You think about earth. Think about earth. How is it that we have perfect levels of all that we need to survive? Perfect nutrition, perfect air, perfect water, perfect habitat in order for us to survive as a civilization. Did you know this? This is incredible. Mountains, where they are placed on the globe, matter. Did you know that they are placed in a perfect spot to give our, pa- our planet the tilt it needs on its axis to keep us balanced and provide us with seasons? What? The mountains are in the right place. Anyone, you know, tell Everest, okay, be there because we need it tilted this way to spin. That's crazy. The mass of the mountains help in the stabilization of Earth's rotation, and it keeps us distanced perfectly from the sun. We give you a little scope here about the earth and the sun. If the sun, I meant to bring a golf ball, I have one in the car. If I were to hold a golf ball and that golf ball represents our sun, the one that you have to lather up SPF 80 because of, if our sun represented that golf ball, the earth would be like a grain of sand. Okay? Perfectly balanced, 
perfectly placed with the perfect atmosphere. Did any of you, did any of us do that? Negatory. Let's zoom out. The heavens, right? Significant that our size is a planet, right? Golf ball, I kind of did that one, yep. Um, The maintenance of our solar system, keeping it in order. Okay, here's another size visual for you that's going to hopefully, you know, blow your mind like it blew mine. Okay, if you take, let me make sure I get it right. If our solar system, if our solar system represent, is represented by a quarter, okay? I don't have a quarter. I should have brought the visual aid. That's a bad teacher moment. I mean, if you have a quarter, you put that quarter in your hand, that represents our solar system, okay? If you put that quarter on the North American continent, Canada, U.S., Mexico, that's representative of our galaxy, Y'all with me? Like, that's crazy, right? A quarter that represents our solar system on the North American continent is our galaxy. Who maintains our solar system? Who maintains our galaxy? But our God. You know, there was and there is some extent of a sweeping fear of asteroids crashing into Earth causing an extinction-level event, right? There's like a movie every other year about an asteroid coming down and then like Steven Tyler's playing uh, music, right? (laughs) But think about it. Scientists and uh, NASA types, right? More than the fear of that, there was a fear of galaxies colliding. And this fear plagued many scientists, but then in recent studies, they're saying this shouldn't worry us. You know why? Because the distance in between stars and clusters and solar systems is so big that if if two galaxies were to come into contact with each other, what would probably happen is they would just pass right through each other. That's the size and scope we're talking about when we say God, Christ, has made all things. He's created the order in which we live in, in our physical bodies, on our earth, and in the heavens that we cannot fathom. We cannot even go there. You know, and this is kind of where, you know, you talk to, you know, talk to folks who, who don't believe in God or might be atheists, you know, and it's like, dude, I, I think you have more faith than I do. <laughs> I think you have more faith to believe in that this has to happen for this and this has to happen for this, for that. And I'm like, man, I, all I know is God made it, right? So I understand going back into the personal side, the mental side. I understand that we and you, we want certainty. We want security. We want safety. We want to know what is the plan. I would say that those are not bad things. But what I would say is, I want you to want Jesus more than those things. I want to want Jesus more than I want to know what the plan is. My security. How am I going to, be, how am I going to provide? I want that. I want to know how I'm going to provide for my family and my kids. But I pray that I would want Jesus more. We, church, should have the utmost confidence that Jesus has all authority on earth and in heaven.
heavenly peace, this otherworldly peace. Here again, Tony Marita, he does a great job explaining this by saying, we experience fullness in Christ because in Him, God restores us to our true place in creation. I love that. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers, authorities. All things were created through him and for him. We're wrapping up. By him, like I said, he is the origin of all things. He's the reason for all things. Through him, he is the acting agent in making it happen. And for him, he's the goal of it. He is the end of it. For all creation is to point back to him, right? It's like whenever you go out and you have an incredible meal. You go out and you have an incredible meal and you're like, excuse me, waiter, uh, would you please, would you give my compliments to the ingredients? Would you go back there in that refrigerator and open it up, get the chicken breast out and get the steaks out and get all of the, tell and look them in their face Look at them, and you tell them thank you for me. How foolish is that? You say compliments to the chef, right? Because the chef had the vision and the exercise, the purpose in fulfilling that vision for you to enjoy and for you to consume what he created. And so you say compliments to the chef. Theologian S. Lewis Johnson, an older guy I really like out of Dallas, He says this, there are several steps involved in the construction of a substantial building. First, an architect is obtained to to design the building and prepare plans and specifications in accordance with the expressed desires of the owner. Then the plans are submitted for bids by builders or contractors and a builder is secured. After the completion of the building, it is occupied by the owner and devoted to its intended use. Our Lord is not only the builder of the universe, he's also the architect and owner. All things have been been created in him, the eternal plans for the creation abide in him. By him, he acted as builder, and for him, the creation belongs to him and is to reflect his glory. So we rejoice and we take heart. Last week, Michael was up here and he said, The reason there's an imprint of God in everything is because the substance of God is present there. He has entered into all creation, not just created it. The author of Ecclesiastes says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. And think about this. I love technology. It's fun for me to look at and, and think about, right? The things humans have made on the planet is pretty incredible. But what we have created on the planet is touched, is marred by the broken world that we live in, is touched by sin and its limitations as we are as, as, uh, as humans in this world. But church, you've got to understand, God is not bound by the same limitations that we are. That's incredible. So when we can get ourselves into trouble and we can lose joy, we can lose peace, is by simply not knowing Christ in his fullness. So in conclusion, what does this mean for us today? I have two applications. Two applications. First, as I mentioned before in Romans 1, 
the human problem is that we can and we will worship anything. It's not a matter of if we worship, it's a matter of what we worship. Usually the things that give us acceptance or security or significance, those are the things that we will gravitate towards and we will ascribe worth and ascribe value to. The beauty and majesty of something created should take us to the Creator. Often our disappointment, often our disappointment reveals what is really going on in our heart. So when we're disappointed with something, it might be that we're worshiping creation rather than creator. All right? So Paul Tripp, he says it like this. I, uh, I'm like, I love quotes. Bear with me. Paul Tripp. He's talking about sin here. He says this, Sin, it causes us to look horizontally for what, we can, what can only ever be found vertically. So we look to creation for life, hope, peace, rest, contentment, identity, meaning, and purpose, inner peace, and motivation to continue. The problem is that nothing in creation can give you these things. Creation was never designed to satisfy your heart. Creation was made to be the one big finger pointing you to the one who alone has the ability to satisfy your heart. Many people will get up today and in some way will ask creation to be their savior. That is, to give them what only God is able to give. That's my first application point. If you don't keep the eyes of your heart focused on the paradise that will come, that is to come, you will try to turn this poor, fallen world into a paradise that it will never be. Be reminded, our God is here, and we can get into problems when we don't act like it. Application number two. Without going into a, you know, a big a Bible study, you know the story of after Jesus is done teaching and him and the disciples, they get on the boat and they're on the Sea of Galilee. 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 They're on the boat and what happens? He's tired and so he goes to the front of the boat and he goes and takes a nap and all these professional fishermen who have been on the water their whole life, they are frightened to death. A huge storm comes out of nowhere, right? A huge storm comes out of nowhere and they're freaking out. We know this is a big storm because, again, they've been on the water their whole life. This in their first rodeo, right? And so they are freaking out. And what I love about this story, and what I thought about in this week in preparation with this story, specifically in God and Christ creating all things, the heart of those on the boat is similar to our heart. The heart of the disciples on the boat when the storm comes through is a heart of deep, deep worry. All of us can relate in some way. Whether that's health, finances, security, safety, family, all of this and that and the other, right? It's deep, deep worry, and rightfully so, maybe. Rightfully so. But what they did was right. What did they do? They asked two things. The first thing they asked was they went to Jesus and said, Do you even care? Do you even care that there's a storm? And we're, we're going to die. Do you care? We might see that as a lack of faith, but I see that as beautiful faith. Right? When my kids don't know what to do, when my kids are scared to death, they run to me. They run to their mom. They run to safety. 
These disciples were scared to death. They didn't know. But as we see Jesus, and they knew in this moment that Jesus is creator of all things, they ran to him. That's good. Well done. Great application is when you don't have peace with what's going on, go to the source of heavenly peace. But they asked two things. Do you even care? Oh, ye of little faith, stop. Wind, waters, stop. And then what do they ask? They say, who is this man? Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? Who is Jesus? Do you care when you're worried? Ask the question. God, do you care? It doesn't feel like it. I don't know. Can you remind me again? And I bet more often than not you're reminded after you ask the second question and you remember who this man is. Creator of all things in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Seeing him rightly, knowing him intimately can always be our application. All right? I'd love it for you guys to pray with me.